0: So good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. Today we have the uh, we have Rex Richardson, who is the Vice Mayor of Long Beach, joining us today in celebration of Juneteenth, and in celebration of Juneteenth, I will let Joy Langford, our in-house environmental consultant extraordinaire, take over today's interview. There you go, Joy.
1: Hi. Well, thanks, Wendy, and I'm so thrilled to have uh, Vice Mayor Rex Richardson on this podcast. He represents um, a quite unique uh, part of Long Beach uh, that deals with so many environmental social justice issues. And he's just been a real leader in the community, not only in Long Beach, but in uh, various areas in Southern California. So thanks Rex for uh, doing this podcast with me. And hopefully we can educate people on the significance of Juneteenth, as well as how some of these environmental social justice issues uh, still play out today in Southern California.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. Look forward to our conversation. I hope we do, I hope we do well.
1: <laughs> I think we will represent very well. All right. So let me give everybody a background on Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth is the oldest African American celebration. And uh, Juneteenth is uh, a commemoration of the ending of slavery. Now, how this went down is in 1862, the Emancipation Proclamation was passed. However, deep in the South, uh, Galveston, Texas, um, Houston, Texas, uh, Louisiana uh, area, uh, most of the slaves did not know that they were indeed emancipated until two and a half years later uh, when federal troops came into the South to let everybody know that they were indeed free uh, two years after they were actually freed. Um, so in this episode, we kind of wanted to honor this holiday as we discuss uh, Af- African-American and um social injustice in underserved communities being played out in an environmental uh, aspect. Uh, So we'll talk today a little bit about redlining, how that still occurs today, uh, as well as what what impacts it has on communities, lifespan, uh, grocery stores, uh, various things that uh, impact the lifespan of people in underserved communities. So one of the things I wanted to start with was to read you guys an actual uh, a deed restriction. I, I, I know a lot of people are hearing different things that are going on in uh, Southern California by way of uh, Bruce Beach. Um, a lot of talk is being had right now about uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma and how that area was burned down um, in the 40s, uh, as well as 1947 um, deed restrictions were finally um, put into place that uh, allowed deeds not to be uh, racist. So one of the examples of a deed restriction or a deed uh, that was, was put together um, back the pre-1947 kind of read like this. Um, in the clarifying remarks, uh, it said that there are no deed restrictions. And while zoned for small apartments, um, improvements consist wholly of single family dwellings, many of which show uh, residents, um, sh- There, the, the deed is kind of old, so it's kind of hard for me to read. There is a concentration of Mexican residents in this area, as well as many Negroes and wait for it, orientals. The the best that can be hoped for for this area is that it will develop into a business or an industrial section. The area is graded low grade. So it also goes further into discussing exactly who the inhabitants are are of the area. The primary occupation is farm labor. The estimated annual income is $900 to $1,500 a year. Uh, foreign-born families, there's 25%, and in parentheses, they put Mexican. Predominantly uh, Mexican, Negroes were 2%. Infiltration of subversive races uh, exist, and they the population is increasing uh, slowly with white descendants. So this was actually in a deed covenant, um, and it was kind of a warning or a dog whistle for um, whites uh, that were gonna come into the area to know exactly who they were dealing with. Um, And though those deed restrictions uh, post 1947 don't exist, there's still other dog whistles that, you know, uh, Rex can definitely uh, attest to uh, even in his community in different ways that minorities uh, are not being treated equally uh, in areas that are considered uh, minority areas or underserved areas. So, I don't know, Rex. You want to jump in on some of the stuff that even post 1947 is happening today?
2: Sure. What? Well, what I what I want to do is I, I think um, I think what where you're getting at is that um, institutional racism and the condition of our communities didn't happen overnight. It was a part of a, a, a an intentional construct. To uh, directly related to land policy and wealth. And so uh, I'm gonna go back and tell a little story. Um, It starts right around the time uh, that you're talking about. Um, You know, there was during the Great Depression, there was a a run on the banks, and and folks at that time, a lot of their mortgages were just about five year mortgages, not 30 years like we have, but they were about five years. And the banks said, you know, hey, we're gonna need to call back some of these mortgages. And you need to produce about 50% of what you owe. So imagine uh, getting a call and saying, produce 50% of what you owe on your mortgage today. Otherwise, we're going to come give you, uh, uh, we're going to come foreclose on you. And so this happened all around America, to whites, to blacks, everyone. So the federal government jumped in and said, hey, you know what? We're going to get into the mortgage. We're going to get into backing, federally backing mortgages. That's what we're going to do. But we don't want to do it. Like we don't want to just go out and do it for everyone. We want to be smart about our investment. We want to limit our risk. So they went out and met with lenders and bankers and mortgage brokers and said, hey, let's figure out a way to limit our risk. And so they came out with maps and those maps drew all of our communities in four different shades. Red meant, uh, we'll start from green. Green meant this is a great community to invest in. They can get our mortgage-backed uh, loans. Uh, blue, hey, they're still they're still safe. It's still safe to invest in blue. Yellow meant declining, meaning only do it if you had to. And then red meant by no means do you offer any uh, federally-backed mortgages or insurance. And uh, the interesting thing was that there, these lines were not drawn based on any metric aside from race. That was the only metric informed by local uh, real estate professionals and bankers. And so all of our housing policy across America was built on that foundation, F- Fannie, Mac, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, all of that was built there. And this, these maps were kept a secret all the way until the 1970s. Now, this was an effort to help bail people out, make sure that they can get what they need to stay in their homes, but it was not extended to people who live in red or yellow line communities. Now let's take, a, take another step. What happened that's related to environmental and social justice? Well, a part of that uh, bailout, and this was called the New Deal. Everyone talks about the New Deal. The, the, a big part of that was the federal highway system. The federal highway system is the biggest infrastructure investment that ever happened in America. It was originally built to move uh, war machines across America, but ultimately became um, what we know today as American highway system. Well, that required... Uh, the U.S. government to go and make real estate purchases to go across those routes. So where did they go? They went to communities where the property values were already depressed so they can buy more in order to build these private freeways. So they ultimately went to red and yellow line communities that were already starved of investment and brought their land value down. These were all land policy decisions. And so the freeways came in, further divided these communities, further depressed their values, pushed away investment, and added a legacy of environmental uh, racism that shortened life expectancies uh, where uh, where people live. Now, if you think about, think about it, this happened in every major American city, but if we think about Los Angeles, think about the network of freeways in East LA. Think about the 710 corridor. Think about the 91 freeway cutting right through Compton and North Long Beach, intersecting in my city council district, the 710 and the 91. Right. So here we are today. We still have the same health vulnerabilities. We still have the lack of investment in our communities because it is almost impossible. If you starve a community of investment for generations, you can't just add water and expect that garden to grow back. It takes deep work to invest in the very soil to turn that garden around. And that that is what you call institutional racism. When you see crime happening in these communities, a lot of times we say if those people... Are destroying their community they're doing it no that is an outcome an outcome of systemic policy connected to land that is designed to push wealth in certain communities at the expense of others and that is the foundation of why we have long long-term sustained uh poverty uh crime um lack of educational attainment levels lack of investment in uh communities that are predominantly people of color
1: so yeah, they, exactly. So one, one of the things that brought, brought to my mind when, while you were talking um, was for the last few years, 20 years or so, they've been saying that the, uh, the big part of the racial divide uh, divide was lack of health care. It's not the lack of health care. It's the lack of environmental care uh, that places uh, black and brown people, um, at, a, at a disadvantage and giving them 20 year less lifespans than say somebody who lives in West LA or Beverly Hills. The environmental portion more so than the health portion is what uh, really uh, stands out in my mind as far as why there are such differentiations in healthcare, a lack of clean water, lack of clean air, which uh, Rex is on the board of um, South Coast Air Quality Management District that deals with these particular areas in Los Angeles and providing clean air. So that's, what what say you about that, Rex? Is, is it that the healthcare or that we're not getting great food or that we're in a food desert or is it also just these environmental issues that's decreasing life uh, in these areas.
2: Uh, you know, I'm I'm on the the advisory board for for the MPA executive MPA at Claremont Lincoln University, and we had a good healthy conversation just this past weekend. And the premise here was, um, you know, a lot of times we it, it we we lend we lean on public health and say we need to take a public health approach uh, to address uh, food and or to invest, uh, to address poverty or violence, and from in many ways they're not wrong. Uh, it 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 is associated with the very health and your opportunity, your ability to live and thrive. But the issues are not public health issues. They weren't created through a public health lens. The issues were created through land use policy and economic policy, and you cannot uh, separate the two public health is typically underfunded. What you need is long-term systems thinking related to land and economic policy. So if we know the freeway system, uh, it's hard to pick up a freeway and move it. You know that you have sustained poor air quality. What does that lead to? That's going to lead to higher medical bills. That's going to lead to vulnerability in your community. What does vulnerability mean? Vulnerability means these communities are more susceptible for decline uh, and a higher impact when things happen. For example, right now we're recovering from COVID-19 across America. The health impacts, the economic impacts. But as uh, you, as as uh, folks may say, when it rains in America, it pours in the Black community, and that's because the vulnerability uh, issue says that it takes, it it will take longer for someone who lives in these communities, directly connected to these communities, it will take them longer to recover economically. It will take longer for it will be more expensive for them to deal with uh, a, a respiratory virus. Uh, it will impact um, students' ability to go to school, parents' ability to have childcare so they can go to work, uh, and so it compounds in these communities, essentially furthering uh, the racial wealth gap, the healthcare gap, furthering these issues. And and a lot of times people think, oh, we're going to put this issue on the individual. That individual was set up generations ago um, just by the very sake of where they live. You can tell a lot about a person by the zip code they live in. It isn't because of the people who live in that zip code. It's because of the environmental conditions set out by our policies uh, that are anchored to those zip codes. And so we have to commit to long-term systems thinking. What does that mean? That means we have to, if we know that businesses aren't going to survive for the first three years in a certain community, why burden them with the same business license fees that may happen in other communities, right? You should, we should be removing burdens uh, for to, to thrive. We should be thinking about where we invest in affordable housing. Should we continue to build as much affordable housing by, by in these neighborhoods and by free, freeways? Should we invest? Should we invest in, uh, in in other economic opportunities like buying, like down payment assistance, an opportunity to get people to own their first home, removing barriers uh, to build begin to build generational wealth. Should we make sure that areas that actually have access to open space are required to build housing uh, and not overburden them in in communities that don't have a lot of open space, right? And distribute uh, the housing more fairly and equitably. What about investment into infrastructure? A lot of times, uh, you know, folks wanna maintain a certain level, just make sure the streets aren't slipping. We have to be thinking about vulnerability index as we invest it. It's never enough money for streets and sidewalks, but we gotta factor in how we define need Vulnerability needs to factor into how we define these. So all of these things are connected to land policy and the way out. You can't get out just by thinking public health. You have to think public health, economic policy, and land policy.
1: Yeah, the in the especially with the new housing builds that they're building all over Southern California. I think one of the great things uh, would be uh, electric electrification. Uh, electrifying some of the new apartment buildings going up, offering deep, deep incentives, almost as in, as in a free electric car uh, so that people will live in some of these new buildings that are coming up, uh, providing the charging in- infrastructure uh, in those buildings. I know there's a new, um, a new compound that's going up in Valencia uh, that's going to be all net zero and they're offering everybody a free car as well to uh, be able, to, if, you, if you purchase a house, you get a free car. Uh, so they're rolling part of that money into the mortgage. Uh, by no means do I think that anything is free or that anybody's getting uh, something away for free, but we need to train, if we're gonna get to uh, net zero by 2035, uh, we need to offer uh, incentives such as these for people to, um, move back into some of these communities, uh, as well. You know, one of the things that's really bothering me right now, um, is an area that's very close to my house, uh, the Crenshaw corridor. There are only two grocery stores on the Crenshaw corridor and guess how many are going to stay, uh, in business due to this hero pay, um, that was first implemented in Rex's district. Um, and now the grocery stores are using that to turn against underserved communities, uh, which will limit the amount of grocery stores in these areas. And on the Crenshaw corridor, that will be both grocery stores, both major chains, uh, that will be moving out of the area. One right next door to one of the largest senior citizen housing complexes uh, in Southern California. So, you know, Rex, I'd love to talk to you about the the hero pay. Uh, lastly, and how they're using that as a dog whistle to close things down in underserved communities.
2: So earlier, I said when it when it rains in America, it pours in the black. Well, uh, in, during the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, you know, you saw a higher rate of uh, higher rate within black communities, largely because black communities they they had the service jobs. Line service I'll go out every day um, at the pandemic. What are those jobs? A lot of those jobs are working in grocery, providing uh, the very things people need food and toilet paper and things like that. Well, that came with a certain amount of risk, and, and the c- cities have the ability through its emergency powers, through its policing powers, to make sure that we offset some of that risk. And, and the city of Long Beach moved forward. Um, to move forward, and I was involved in this and in proposing mandating hero pay in grocery stores that ensured, and it was a temporary measure through the height to ensure that people are are being provided dignity and addition and the resources they need in order to provide for their families as they're going out in the middle of a spike to make sure that people had access to food. So we we passed that law in Long Beach. We were we were sued for that law. And we we won that suit, and. Uh, the, the, the retaliation from that law was, um, the Kroger company said that they were going to close down low-performing stores in cities that adopted hero pay because they couldn't pay this additional $4 in a short period of time. Now, long-term, a long-term economic decision based on a short-term three-month rule that, that, that was, uh, that was politics. It was appeared that way, but what effectively happened was that they used hero pay as a means to shut down grocery stores in black communities. And that's effectively what happened. A decision was made to prioritize profits when grocery stores made more. Uh during the pandemic, uh, significantly more grocery stores made uh, than any other sector of business. They were making record profits and giving out bonuses and shutting down grocery stores in the black community. <laughs> and and it was it and the story was they distributed to zero pay. The truth is, but the reality is, this was uh this is this is capitalism. This is Exploitation of communities. We'll take your workers, right? We'll take your workers and use them until until we don't need them anymore. And so, uh, so what does that mean? That means we need more economic empowerment in our own communities. We need to determine our own futures, not be uh, uh, held to uh, the whims of executives. We need to be uh, developing grocery store co-ops, supporting local grocers, developing healthy corner stores and less liquor stores. Again, all of this is related to land policy. You open up the land policy, you set the priorities, you update your land use laws, you have smart economic opportunities within our communities and the and the private sector respond. We're doing some of that in North Long Beach. We passed a plan called Plan Uptown Planning Land Use and Neighborhood Strategy that prioritizes things like neighborhood serving uh, grocery stores, uh, neighborhood serving services and restaurants and deprioritizes things like um, check cashing places, um, and uh, and liquor stores and and nuisance motels. Uh, it's effectively prioritizing, making it easier for the things that serve communities to thrive and, and make it uh, less, make it more challenging uh, to continue to perpetuate things that take away from our community and do not add to our community. And through land use policies, we can achieve these long-term goals.
0: If I may interject, um, I wanted to thank you for the clarification with respect to Kroger closing down the stores, because when that first came out, I believed the hype or the story that they were underperforming, this was a business decision, it had nothing to do with hero pay, and I was wrong. And I mean, I have to own that because I was discussing this with people saying, listen, if you have something underperforming, it's a business decision. So thank you for clarifying that and letting people know it it was actually a hero pay issue and an extra $4 in a limited period of time I think that's very important to make very clear for people to understand. Well,
1: yeah, to grocery stores be, uh, in inner cities and the lines are to the back of the store. Pre-COVID, during COVID, you know, after COVID, people need groceries. We all have to eat, right? Black, brown, white, everybody needs to eat. So it especially when there's not a store on every corner, a Ralphs on one corner and Albertsons on another, such as you find in in West LA. Um, people have to shop at those particular stores that are available to them in their community. Again, transportation is an issue for most. A lot still take the bus. Uh, you're shopping it at the, your neighborhood grocery store, and they are very few and far in between. So there could be no way that the store is underperforming uh, when that's the only gig in town.
2: Let me let me add this. Uh, The Kroger company actually said it in their statement when they closed, when they announced the first closures in Long Beach, because Long Beach initiated the hero pay ordinance. They said, uh, due to this ordinance, we are now closing low performing stores in Long Beach and we will evaluate this in every city that passes the hero pay ordinance. It was political. It was a threat to other cities that we will do to you what we did to Long Beach. It was in their statement. I remember a few
3: years ago when they opened a grocery store downtown LA. I mean, and there was like the big hoopla over just opening up the first grocery store. And I remember thinking, wait, there wasn't one there before. I mean, that was a few years after I moved here. And I'm like, but what? I I, I, I don't understand this. And then, you know, and then, of course, the ones that move in are going to be like the more expensive ones. And it's going to
1: have everything old that people did like, paycheck is like five yeah. blocks from Skid Row. You know, sometimes I look at a Whole Foods bill and I said, not going there. Uh, But can you imagine being on Skid Row and that's like your local grocery store? So yeah, there's there's changes that need to be made in, you know, even downtown LA as to making sure that people have access to food.
3: So thanks, I mean, going back to like the very beginning of the conversation when you were reading the part from the deed, I mean, it's like, that was tame compared to some of the stuff that I read before, where it just it flat out spelled. Basically, if you're not white, you're not selling it, you're not buying it. Like you are not allowed to do this. And I'm like, the first time I read that, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like,
2: what the hell well, is this? Well, Joe, the the deed, the deed covenants, uh, they, they, they still exist. They're just not federally enforceable anymore. But uh, these rules are perpetuated. Um, not through redlining anymore. It's through uh, it's through things like your land use plans. Um, it's thing you know if the land use essentially says, "Hey, uh, we can bear additional density um, in overburdened communities, um, but we don't want to change the character of other communities by changing densities." Um, then what you're doing is, is further placing additional housing burden in vulnerable communities. And essentially ensuring that the people who live in those communities take on those burdens for the life of the time that they live in those communities. So babies born in those communities will have that shorter life expectancy right. and in areas where things are healthier and there are high resource communities. That's where we should be placing more affordable housing. And, and as president of Skag, last year I was president of Southern California Association of Governance. We adopted our regional housing needs assessment plan and we prioritized placing housing near high high resource communities, uh, Mm -hmm. placing high housing in areas of communities with jobs and access to transit. Um, Which meant that uh, communities like Orange County who originally didn't have as much density, they had to take on their share. Not more, not less, but their fair share of of housing uh, to build. Um, Cities like Long Beach, my city, we already prepared to build 28,000 units by updating our land use plan. Um. So when the regional housing needs assessment came out and said, you have to build 26,000 units, we were already prepared for that because we zoned for 28,000 units over the next 20 years. And so uh, through land use and policy, we can either perpetuate institutional racism or we can help to eliminate institutional racism. It just comes down to those visions. I would say this one one thing. President Obama uh, had a My Brother's Keeper town hall just two weeks ago uh, where he's talking to young people. He's doing, you know, he's doing obama style he's talking slow he's putting the kids to sleep he's being a professor It's like i was i loved it it was classic obama and you know he what he did was he said you know we're in the third reconstruction period in america right uh first one was obviously after civil war um there were a whole host of policies after civil rights movement voter rights act civil rights act fair housing act which were really a, a new commitment to how the federal government would work and eliminate the issues created by uh from reconstruction through jim crow and then but we're going into a period now of reconstruction where it's a lot of policies that are really rooted in local cities it's not going to be a bunch of congressional actions it's going to be a whole bunch of cities and city council members and mayors county supervisors district attorneys sheriffs who are going to set policy uh related to housing homelessness economic development uh the way that our communities are, are police the way you understand public safety, all of those things are what this new reconstruction period is. So who are going to be the champions of this new reconstruction period? It's going to be your council members, or your mayors who are committed to systems thinking, thinking bigger than barking dogs, trees and trash, but thinking more so about the next 30 years and, and how we improve air quality and how we uh, change the economic conditions and expand um, economic opportunity for anyone who lives within a particular jurisdiction or geography. Exactly. It's like, I mean, I think, I think
3: that what Joy was bringing up, so that complex that's going up, I think you said in Valencia? Yes. Okay. That's great. We're going to talk about the ring in a free car. That's factored into the mortgage. So you've already shut out a ton of people who can't even afford to get into these programs. So we're still perpetuating the same cycle by, we're going to talk a good game, but we're still not able to do anything to back it up and really give people the benefit. And. Yeah, it's, it, it is an institutional thing. And I think like for me personally, this past year was like a huge wake up call I had never heard of the Tulsa, Oklahoma, what happened there. I'd never heard of that before. We weren't taught about this in school. We weren't taught about any of the history of America and what we've really done to our citizens and the people who are actually building, you know, trying to keep, uh, it's just disgusting, whatever. Um, so I mean, it's been this huge wake up call for a lot of people, but unfortunately we have have to do it ourselves because I mean, that goes right back to what you're talking about Rex. We're not educating ourselves on how much we've done to ourselves. You know, we've, we've tried to paint this rosy picture that we're like, oh, we're one country, we're all together. No, we're not, we're not, we're doing, every, you know, our country has been set up to keep people apart as opposed to bring it together. And I think that's been the harsh wake up call that we've seen over this past year. And then I know for me, I like I'm I'm a white man. I admit it. I mean, I have not had to have the same experiences. I know you're laughing at me, Joy, but it's, it's, <laughs> is it, I don't have the same, I, I don't have the same experiences as other people. So, and, but I'm also educated on that. I never even knew what to ask people before because you didn't hear about things to ask about. So it's kind of this whole
2: how do you break that cycle of just, well, well I, I'll tell you this, it's, you know, talk, eliminating anti-blackness or acknowledging institutional racism doesn't mean that uh, this is anti-white. It's not about being anti-white. It's not about uh, whites stepping back and allowing uh, uh, blacks to step forward in every conversation. I think it's about everybody stepping in and leaning into the conversation, acknowledging that we're not talking about individuals, we're talking about this. That's where systems thinking is you have to design alternative systems that are superior and more inclusive. More inclusive doesn't mean more exclusive for others. It just means more inclusive for everyone. We have to just really think about the commitments that we are making to all people and, and acknowledging that all humanity requires dignity. Just because there were there were uh, issues in, in, you know, a, a legacy of issues doesn't mean that we have to continue to move forward perpetuating those issues. The other thing I would say here is we like to think that thing happened over there in Tulsa. That thing happened over there in Birmingham. But it happened uh, across America. It happened in North mm-hmm. Long Beach, Compton and South LA. It happened at Bruce's Beach. Uh, it happened now, Al- I moved here from Alabama. I can tell you, my great-grandfather uh, was a sharecropper, bought 640 acres. He built a church, he built a store. That store competed with the white store. That store was set on fire with a cross burning in the front with was leading back to the opposing uh, store. The, the competing store that was owned by a Klansman. These things happen all over the place. And until we acknowledge, until we acknowledge that we all are not starting from the same starting point, and commit to equity and understand that it is it is not uh, a zero sum game. Uh, equity is is a multiplier effect for our entire economy, uh, ensuring that our entire GDP will grow if we had uh, if we had racial equity. Uh, when we start to be understand how it benefits everyone, how investing in communities reduces crime and ensures that we can prioritize things like building libraries and parks, mm-hmm. um, that's when we all begin to see that this can work, this model can work every and forever. So it's almost like you're saying we have to learn from our mistakes,
3: which, you know, we're great at that. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, one thing, Joel, to you know, when you said, how do we break through this? That's what I'm hoping environments, what we're doing right here, will accomplish, because we are having these very difficult conversations. We are having uncomfortable conversations. Yes, a lot of it is about pollution and the environment, but we are also talking about social justice. And when Rex was talking about, you know, air quality and water quality, another thing that people need to understand is that also gets absorbed into the soils. So you're gonna have long-term contamination issues in these neighborhoods that doesn't just go away. You can bring in electric cars and get rid of exhaust fumes, but you have buried contamination that will be there forever unless it's remediated. So that is something to figure to think about long term.
1: Yeah. Even as gentrification happens, it it it, all of it will come up um, as you know, land is being dug up as it's something that's going to affect people long term as we become more of a melting pot, um, as we become uh, better uh, green workers. Uh, The economy definitely needs to go green. There's lots of other different things that are going to go on as far as training that needs to be done to train all people um, in this new uh, green revolution that's going to shape our world from here on out. So, yeah, I that that's what I see from it. And I don't know, Rex, do you have any like last minute comments as uh, to where you well, see things going? Well, thank
2: you for for having a conversation in Juneteenth. I mean. You know Juneteenth. Uh, it, it, it for me, you know, moving in, living in Alabama and coming to California. Juneteenth, the time we would get together as family and and eat our eat our food and
1: That's and hang right. out with
2: family and and think and and sort of just reflect on our experience and be black. But I think you know, given that Congress just you know uh, the Senate just voted to make uh, Juneteenth a national holiday, I think yes. a lot more people are having these conversations. Um, you know, and there are mixed feelings about it. Some folks feel like we're gentrifying our Juneteenth. Some people feel like, hey, it's finally time that we acknowledge uh, the moment that slavery ended and what the legacy of slavery is in America and how it continues to affect uh, two experiences. And so, it's great that we're having these conversations um, uh, because I think it's you know, after the events of last year and, and every you know, we're celebrate, we're re- acknowledging rather uh, we're a year since uh, since the, the killing of George Floyd and all the events after that. Uh, I think it's an appropriate conversation for us to have because we can all learn uh, from one another if we just acknowledge our history as a country.
1: Well said, well said. Wendy, this was an excellent show idea and I look forward to uh, doing more shows like this and definitely having Rex on. He's just a jewel of information uh, as we all just try to find a way for all of us to live together and be environmentally conscious Uh, for the planet that we believe that we leave behind for all people of all colors and uh, the future generations. So thanks everybody for participating and
0: we'll see you on the next episode. Yes, thank you guys so much. This was a wealth of information. Thank you.
2: Thanks Max for joining.
0: Thanks.